I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. And as you see those little ones making their way to class, continue to pray for them. Continue to pray for them. Pray for their teachers that uh, that God would work through them. Before we get moving along, um, we are in the midst of Super Bowl season. And so, if you're a sports fan, and you know other sports fans, uh, we have these set out around the church. We've got a track rack over here with some of them in it. It's a track that simply says, I've been a sports fan all my life, and goes over some different things, but it also uh, gives a little bit of information about how God uh, can be found and God can be seen. And so I encourage you to grab a handful of these and pass them out. Don't grab a handful of them, drop them in the floorboards of your car, and then just throw them away later. Grab a handful of them and pass them out. Give them to people. Uh, anybody that you're talking to about the uh, upcoming Super Bowl, uh, you can talk to them about uh, about the Lord at the same time. Great, great little opportunity there. But I don't know about you, but there's there's one thing that I believe that every one of us probably have in common. And um, now, something that we may not want to admit that we have in common, and we'll get to this blessed life thing here in just a moment, um, but one thing that we have all seen or maybe even been a part of in life is overreactions. Has anyone else ever overreacted? Some of you are like, never. Some of you are nudging your spouse. You need to raise your hand. You know, so, no, Overreactions are something that we've all been part of. Perhaps you've been at Walmart and you've witnessed a parent overreacting to their child. You know, the kid just asked for a candy bar. What you don't know maybe is the 58,000 times that they asked for something else leading up to that candy bar. Uh, maybe it was uh, the parent overreacted to a child, but uh, perhaps you've seen a customer overreact to a sales clerk. Have you ever seen that? Maybe you've, you've watched you've watched someone uh, uh, you know at a at a restaurant. The person uh, is is waiting for their glass to be refilled, and the waiter waitress maybe wasn't fast enough, and that person you know just kind of chewed them out or what have you. And we we we've seen those kind of things. Uh, maybe uh, you're. Uh, uh, you've been in a situation like that, and, and it's difficult to not stare, right? It's difficult to not watch. Maybe your wife's elbow, and you're going, don't, don't stare, don't stare. And you're fighting the urge to pull out the phone and snap a picture. I mean, this is going on Instagram. Uh, this video is going viral, right? You, we've, we've all been there. Sadly, we've been there as a witness, and sometimes we've been the one actually doing the overreacting. I think we've all kind of had these situations in life. So I I want to kind of bring that to to light before we read this morning's passage. So stand with me, if you would, as we get into the book of Galatians, chapter number 5. Galatians, chapter number 5. We're going to look at just a few things. I've got on the screen that we're going to start in verse 19, but for continuity's sake and context, let's jump back a few verses to verse 16. Notice what it says here. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now to our our text for this morning, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like, of which I tell you before, as I told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is pretty heavy wording. So before we go any further, it's important for us to note everything that has been listed here. We, we like to jump on the one or two things that are our pet peeves. But note everything that was listed here. Look at verse 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the afflictions and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Father, bless now the reading of your word to our hearts. And Father, help us as we try to follow it. Help us as we surrender ourselves to its teaching. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You're talking about reactions, overreactions. Uh, I remember uh, I remember a time when I was building houses. Uh, the contractor that I was working for at the time had broken his leg. And so he was really kind of unable to do a lot that we were doing. And he was making his, uh, his way through the job site one day. And we were not as far along as he wanted us to be. At this stage of the game, we were framing a house. Uh, we were setting the trusses, getting everything ready to go. And uh, he shows up. And he wanted us to be a whole lot further along than we really were. Well, it was me and one other guy framing a house, just the two of us. And uh, so I'll be honest with you, I really didn't think that he had a lot of ground to stand on, no pun intended, with a broken leg. But I, I thought, why are you so upset? There's two people framing a house and you're sitting in your truck. But I'm just sitting off to the side. And just watching it all go between him and the, the other guy who was my boss, which was the foreman. And man, they were, they were going at it. They were yelling at each other. They were saying words I didn't know. I had not heard these words. And I was just, I'm just amazed. I'm learning. You know, life is a learning experience. Take an opportunity to learn something. I didn't know that I needed to learn that part. But I'm watching. And all of a sudden, he just got so mad, he took his crutches and he threw them at the other guy. And they started going, and of course, Ed just kind of leaned and missed it. It dodged. It was really, it was a cool Matrix moment, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. And the the we had put the mylar all around, and that's how uh, uh, that's how his crutches came to a stop. It had javelined into the mylar and just kind of on the complete opposite side of the house that we're framing. And here's a guy with a broken leg hobbling on one foot, and Ed's like, you can get him. I'm not getting him. Of course, I'm up in the rafters just watching the whole thing go by. And so Ed decides, 
I don't need this. I've had enough of it. I'm out. One person framing a house ain't going. I'm just letting you know. Setting trusses by yourself is not an easy thing. I don't know if you've ever done it before. Praise be to God for your amazing skills. But I'm up there in the rafters just looking down at everything took place. This guy's got a broken leg. He ain't helping me. That guy's getting in his truck and storming off. He's not helping. And that overreaction of his just completely ruined everything. Ruined it all. You know, we, we look at these kind of things take place and how they transpire. And we all have watched things like this, maybe even been part of things like this. And perhaps we know from personal experience by having someone overreact to us or because we've overreacted to them. And you, know, you might be wondering, what in the world does this have to do with the life of generosity? What does this have to do with the blessed life? What does any of this kind of come... Well, we typically look at these overreactions... And what typically brings about them is important for us to kind of note. From a psychological understanding of overreactions, uh, psychology says that we overreact because of the fear of something that threatens us physically, emotionally, or even socially. So whenever there's something that I view that is a threat to my physical well-being, my emotional well-being, or, or even my social well-being, I will react in a negative light. This is why the father that sees his little son running through the parking lot and another car might reach out and grab that child a little more forcefully than they normally would. We're worried about the situation and that fear drove us to the point. Perhaps the mother who is tired of being embarrassed in Walmart, which if you're going to Walmart... Just putting it out there. I like going to Walmart as much as anybody else does. It's fun to watch the Walmartians. So, but maybe the mother who is tired of being embarrassed by her child for the 15th time is tired of the way everybody else sees her, and that's why she overreacts. These people are going to think I don't know how to parent. These No, these people are going... That's what you look like uh, to their kids, right? <laughs> Learning experience. That's you, right? Or maybe why a spouse will shut down and block out rather than be willing to talk things out. When they have that spat with their spouse as opposed to, you know what, let's see if we can come to the bottom of this. Let's see if we can figure this. Let's talk this out. No, I don't want more hurt. No, I don't want to be talked to like that again. And we stiff arm one another. You know, in today's day and time, many overreacting persons are excused as simply being assertive and even applauded. You know, in today's society, I don't know if you realize it or not, but I've looked in, I've, as I studied some of this, I, I realized that in today's day and time, overreacting is actually encouraged by many people. They see someone who, who knows how to overreact as someone who's assertive and a good leader and bold. Now hold the phone. 
in, in times past, overreactions were frowned upon and even viewed as weaknesses because they're attributed to a lack of self-control. Now think of the biblical approach to it. For example, Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool utters his mind, but the wise man keeps it until afterwards. Anybody in here ever utter your mind, maybe to a sales clerk or to someone wishing that you had kept it? You have just joined the elite group of fools. What about uh, Proverbs 25.26? says, righteous man falling down before the wicked is a troubled fountain and a corrupt spring. The only thing that this world sees when we who are born again by the Spirit of God act that way is evil. They don't see God. They don't see Christ when we act that way. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. Right? A sound mind. This is something from the Lord. And then we just read through Galatians chapter 5, and you'll note that all the different things that take place that are the works of the flesh are offset by the fruit of the Spirit. And one of those fruits of the Spirit, temperance, self-control. And some people may say, well, I don't possess that. My friend, if you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, it's not that you don't possess it, it's that you aren't employing it. You're not practicing it. And so getting into some of this that we're going to go over for the next few weeks in this area of the life of generosity, I think it's important for us to kind of start here as a sort of segue. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he who listens to counsel is wise. So before we go any further, I'm going to ask you something. You might be thinking in the back of your mind, well, no, it's okay for me to overreact. That's just my boldness, and that's just me, you know, asserting myself. Where the fool is right in his own eyes. Let's look at what the Word of God has to say about it. And let's examine ourselves in that light, not our own light. So what causes these knee-jerk reactions? What causes these outbursts? And sometimes it's not necessarily a, an angry outburst. I've had people overreact in a very kind way. Have you ever had that one? Where they're ripping you a new one with a smile and a nod and very calmly? I wouldn't spit on you if you were on fire. I love you though. I don't know. I, have you ever had that? I've had that. And you walk away wondering, was I yelled at, insulted, or hugged? I'm not sure. But the more you think about it, the more you realize, I wasn't hugged. Whatever it was, it sure wasn't a verbal hug. So looking at some of these things, usually when we look at reactions or overreactions, we look at them from this angle. What caused them was the way they fill in the blank. If they hadn't, then I wouldn't, right? And it's always their fault, right? It's never our fault. You know, I, I, I can't control other people's actions, but you know what I can control? My reactions. Mine. 
And this is what this is all going to be about. Because in this study that we're going to be looking at for the, the, today in the next couple of weeks is the life of generosity. Now, I want you to understand this life of generosity and what it includes. And we're going to go at this backwards, all right? So the life of generosity does include how generous I am with my abilities. That's an interesting one. Did you know that some people have abilities, other people do not? And you can look at the other person who doesn't have that ability and go, sorry about you, tough cookies. Or you can come alongside and be a help, right? How generous are you with your abilities? What about this one? Time. How generous are you with your time? People say, well, everybody's got the same amount of time as anybody else. Not, not, not really. Not really. I mean, we're all given 24 hours, but some people, you know, some people work 70, 80 hours a week. Other people, like pastors, only work one day a week. That's the general consensus anyway. Well, one and a half if you count Wednesdays. But there are other people who are retired. Dad says ever since he retired, he has six Saturdays and a Sunday. That's his schedule. I mean, praise be to God for that. How generous are you with it? What about the, oh, this one's a tough one. How generous are you with your money? Oh, okay, preacher, I was with you up until that point. You can stop right there. But you see, generosity in abilities, generosity in uh, in time, generosity in money, all comes to this first one, generosity in spirit. And this is what we want to focus in on this morning. Now, these questions can't be answered or these issues can't be raised until we get this idea of a generous spirit, having a generous heart. You know, you can give a lot of money, but not have an ounce of generosity in it. I would much rather someone have a generous spirit than a generous wallet. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to turn away the generous wallet. We have to pay for this stuff some way. Somebody asked one, asked another pastor one time, said, if someone won the lottery, would you accept a tithe from that? Yeah. <laughs> I heard another pastor one time say, I wouldn't want that money. <laughs> Tell them to come on over. We'll take it. Okay. Gee whiz. I ain't too proud, preacher. We'll take it. But a lot of people just don't have the heart and the spirit of generosity. Now, don't forget that even Jesus in the book of Luke, Jesus corrects, chastised the religious leaders because they tithed. Now, think about this for a minute because a lot of people are like, see, Jesus didn't want them tithing. No, wrong. That's not what he said. He chastised or corrected their tithing because they were only tithing for men's applause. They neglected the weightier matters, which included love. They were not doing it with love. They were tithing, but they weren't giving in a heart of love. So before we even go down the money road, we've got to get the heart right. You see, when we forget to place others as a priority, 
We'll forget things like 1 Corinthians 13, 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I love, uh, though I give my body to be burned, but I have not charity or love, it profits nothing. It doesn't say it profits a little. Paul said bodily exercise profits a little. This, he says, profits nothing. So we need to get ourselves in this understanding. Selfishness is a very dangerous position for anyone, but even a more detrimental thing for a child of God. Jump over to the book of Acts with me, if you would, Acts chapter 20, and I want you to see this. Acts chapter 20. Here, Paul had visited Macedonia and Greece, and he made his way uh, down, and, and he found out that some certain Jews wanted to kill him. They had plotted against him, so he made his way around. And then uh, this is where Eutychus uh, fell asleep while Paul was preaching. And so it, those of you who fall asleep, you're in good company. Eutychus, he also fell asleep. But keep in mind, Paul had preached for hours, just saying. Some of you are like, I'm just like you because I fall asleep. Okay, we'll put it to the test. Three-hour sermon coming up. But I want you to notice something that takes place. Because Paul then starts talking with the Ephesian elders. And look at verse 17. It says, And from Miletus uh, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia... After what manner I have been uh, with you all at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the laying in of the uh, weight of Jews. Uh, and now I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have, uh, have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now... Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know uh, that ye all among whom I have uh, gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record uh, this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn every one night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified 
I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And this is where we're kind of going to camp on that idea of the blessed life. You see, we see these, this passage often, we hear this passage often, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And typically we hear it around Christmas time. Maybe you've taken your kids shopping or you've gone shopping with somebody before and, and you had to fight. And uh, this, Oh, I think so-and-so would love this sweater. I like this sweater. And then you end up walking out with a bag full of stuff for yourself and you forgot to buy Christmas gifts for somebody else. And we have to remind people, hey, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's not about what you're getting in it. But I want to note just a few things about this passage that I pray will set the groundwork for the next couple weeks. Number one, if you notice uh, Paul's list of things that he did, he served the Lord. He was striving to maintain a humble stature in doing so. He struggled emotionally and physically through all of this. He suffered trials. Even through these difficulties, he continued to preach. Uh, if you look back, uh, verse, uh, uh, verse 22 and 23 talk about how he's going bound in the Spirit, knowing what things are about to befall him. He knows that he's going to be arrested. He knows that he's going to be tried. He knows he's going to be persecuted. He knows he's going to end up being killed. He knows it. But then he says in verse 24, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry, which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I don't let this stuff deter me. Why? Because he wasn't worried about himself. He was more concerned about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. That's what was most important to him. When we get upset and we get ourselves in a reacting, knee-jerk reactions, usually, 99.9% .9 of the time, it's because we feel slighted. Self-centeredness. That's what it is. Well, if there's a cause I can get behind, I'll tithe. Or if there's a speaker I like. Or if it's a ministry that I think we should be doing, I'll get involved. Hold the phone. Last I checked, it's not about me. It's about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Now, notice what his next steps were. He was heading to Jerusalem where he would most likely be arrested and persecuted. He, he continued preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is what his next steps were going to be. Knowing he would no longer see his beloved people. Knowing that he was going to say goodbye for the last time. But I want you to notice his confidence. He says, I'm innocent of any blood. He says, I wasn't out to get rich. I wasn't trying to make a name for myself. I wanted to be guiltless 
of anybody's blood. This is why we present the word of God unashamedly, the one true God unashamedly. And unlike other preachers in this world, I don't mind coming right out and say there is no other way under heaven whereby we can be saved. There's no other name, no other person. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No man can come to God through Krishna. No man can come to God through Buddha. No man can come to God through Muhammad. No man can come to God through any other road, any other, road, any other way. There is no other truth. Jesus is the only truth. And I'm guiltless of any blood that has heard me. This is what Paul's saying. I'm not trying to fill a 30,000 member auditorium with a message of popularity. We're trying to share the truth. And Paul was able to look at this. But let me ask you this. Do you think... Everything that we know about the Apostle Paul. All the times that he was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, imprisoned. Do you think he ever got tired? I'm just kind of curious. You think maybe his patience ever wore thin? Reckon what his attitude would have been in Walmart. I have found out why our world is running out of resources. It's wasted on Walmart cash registers. 400 of them and two open. And now if that's not bad enough, they put the you check yourself outline so that now you're taking somebody else's job. Didn't know I worked for Walmart. Beep. Beep. Yep. I think Paul would have gotten tired. And I think maybe... Maybe he could have been a little stressed out. But then he makes a statement here that could sound troubling if we're not careful. But we're going to look at it here. Notice uh, verse number 28. He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock, over to which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, That after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Now I want to kind of move through this pretty quickly. But here's what I want us to understand. There are many people that are going to pull you away to different ideas different ways of thinking. And Paul was worried about it, and so he makes this statement in verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock. In other words, pay careful attention to yourself and to the flock. How do we do this? Well, there comes a time of paying attention to yourself and to the flock. And as I pay close attention to what I'm doing, I learn that I can begin to pay close attention to the way it affects others around me. This is paying attention to yourself and to the flock. As I look at some of the things that I, I get into, and sometimes I get to, you know, people will uh, maybe roll their eyes at me. I, I come through, and I know, I know, I know. 
I like the chairs to be nice and straight. I like them to all be centered. I like things like that. I get that. And people go, oh, Lord, here we go again. You know there's a reason for that. Do you know salesmen? You know a good salesman is able to sell something because he makes it look good. Have you ever walked into a restaurant and decided, nope, not eating here? You didn't even have to sit down. You just looked and you saw the grease on the table and you're going, nope. You saw the ceiling tiles falling out. Nope. Maybe you were okay until you went to the bathroom, you turned the light on and the cockroaches scattered. You're like, oh, no. I'm out. I'm out. And if that wasn't bad enough, then the omelet comes with the fingernail in it and the thumb still attached. And you're like, you ever going back? And people wonder why we try so hard to make sure that everything is just so-so. I'm not belittling what we do to saying that we're trying to sell something. I'm not trying to sell anything, but I am trying to present something. I'm trying to present Christ glorious, holy, high and lifted up. This is why when we come together, and the music team, they work, they work hard, they practice. The, the, the multimedia crew, they, they work to make sure that what goes on. And, and, and you'll see these things. This is why we do this. Not because we want to present Andy Lake, not because we want to present Liberty Bible Church, but because we think what we have to present is worth putting the time and effort into straightening up a chair. It's true. If I don't think that it's worth straightening up a chair, who in the world is going to want what we have to offer? We've got to get that heart of seeing the bigger picture. So some may say, well, how do I know if I'm paying that close attention, if I'm, if I'm looking at things that way? How do I know if I'm being self-centered in all of this? Well, let me ask you just a few questions. Let me give it to you this way and kind of answer it to yourself. Do I ask people to do things to make my life easier? Well, it would be easier if we did it this way. It'd be easier for me if we... Well... Is he and this worth going an extra step further? And quite often, helping others means that we have to exert some effort on our part. Believe it or not. Is your motto, if you want it done right, do it yourself. Maybe maybe this is where you're sitting on, um, you want to be in control of everything. Do you have to do it all? Do you have to be in control? Believe it or not, it is less selfish to help people learn how to do it than to just do it for them. Well, I don't want them to have to do it, and they never learn how to do it. Listen, I got news for you. If the Lord stays His coming, you're going to die one day. Are they able to continue on? It takes some work and effort. Well, maybe you don't try to control everything, but have you learned how to manipulate people to get what you want? 
chances are pretty good you're self-centered. This is a difficult one for many of us. Are you unwilling to give negative feedback? Well, I don't want to say anything negative. Look, if I'm getting ready to, if I'm playing with a firearm or something, like an idiot, you know, the way we grew up, guns and alcohol didn't mix. If you see someone messing around with it and they're being a moron, are you going to do anything? Are you going to help them? See, it's not loving to withhold that feedback. These are growth points. It's more selfish to worry about how you look to others. All these different things, you know, making your life easier, uh, having to be the one to do everything. Here's one that's not even in the list, but how about this? Do you have to be nagged over and over and over and over again? These are examples of people who are takers when God wants us to be givers. God wants us to give. He, instead of asking people to make your life easier, why don't you try to find a way to make their life easier? Instead of having to be the one to do everything all the time, why don't you find someone that you can teach how to do some of this stuff? Instead of manipulating people to get what you want, Why don't you try to work at giving them the things that they need instead? Instead of being unwilling to give this negative feedback, why don't you help us grow? Help people grow and learn. Now, there's a difference between negative feedback and complaining. So before somebody comes up and goes, all right, you wanted me to give negative feedback, here it comes, buckaroo. All right, just slow your roll. Give me one thing, okay? Give me one. But back to Paul. He noticed all of this, but he finishes it all up here in Acts chapter 20, in verse 35, with the words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the blessed life. When I see something starting, maybe a ministry that's starting in the church, instead of going, well, it would be easier for me if they would do this. Slow your roll. Let's look at the way it's going to benefit everybody. There's a lot of things that would be easier, but is it better? So what would happen as a result of this? Well, I'll give you three things that would happen, and we'll be done. First, complaining would come to a stop. (laughs) Let, let, let me let me say it this way. A renewed enthusiasm would enter the church and people would get excited and there would be no more discouragement in the church. Is that better? Complaining would stop. Well, that's the same thing. Renewed enthusiasm. Here's another one. The church would never lack in the area of finances and volunteers. Or maybe saying it this way, volunteers and givers would be encouraged more to get involved. You know, if all we ever do is complain about everything, who's going to want to get involved in that? I'm sorry. (laughs) Discouragement. Okay, anyway. And then third, here's the best one. This is what I get excited about. The world would see our love for one another and the way we put each other first 
and this would bring glory to God. This is glorifying to him. So before we talk about giving money, giving time, let me ask you this. Have you given of yourself? That's the heart. That's the heart of generosity. Do you have a blessed life? Or self-centered, self-seeking life? Father, I ask that you would take the words of your scripture, your holy scripture, and apply it to our hearts. Do what only your spirit can and expose to us what we need to change. Help us to see areas that we need to work on and to address. And Father, we'll commit ourselves to doing exactly that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.